Thank you, Jessica. That was beautiful. Appreciate that. Thanks for your participation this morning. It may be a little noisier in here uh, than usual with all the kids. What a joy that will be this morning. Um, And we're going to love the Lord this morning uh, on this Easter day. I'm just thinking as we're standing, as we're sitting, as we're contemplating Christ, there's pockets of people who have professed Christ, confessed Christ, large and small, all over the world, celebrating the risen Lord, and we get to be a part of it. I'm so excited about that. And the, the resurrection is, is, is so much bigger than we can even fathom, and I hope to breach that a little bit this morning. But this has been a great week for us as believers. We had a Monday Thursday or a Mandate Thursday service here. We've also contemplated uh, Good Friday. I'm reminded of a little cartoon I saw years ago uh, where there's two guys and one of them said um, about Good Friday, "I, I hate this day. I hate this day. And his friend said, well, why is that? He said, because this is the day that my Lord was crucified. And so his friend said, well, I understand that. Consider this. Let's say that it was the day you were supposed to be crucified, but he was crucified for you in your place. He said, oh, this is a good day. Good Friday. Well, this is a fascinating time of year. I mean, even since early this morning, um, there's just a lot of excitement here. And I know that there was a delicious breakfast. Thank you for those that served us with breakfast and we've been well fed. And and that helps build the excitement. But it's more than that. And it's about the resurrection. And I'm always enthralled every year how excited Christians get about the resurrection and during the Easter season. And even though we're excited, even though that we know what happens. I mean, most of us know the story and and Jesus suffered a brutal death. And yes, he was laid in the tomb and he was dead as dead can be. But we know the story that he walks out of that tomb as a risen Lord. So it, we know how it ends. And yet, we, we get excited and re-excited and re-excited every year about the resurrection of Christ. And so sometimes I just ask myself, why? Why? Because it is an event. It was glorious and grand by all means, but it is an event that happened in the past. So I think it's a fair question to ask, what is it about something that happened in the past that enables people to be so excited in the present? So I want to kind of look at that this morning, and I think Peter in his first book is going to help us understand some of the excitement. I want to understand the excitement that's in my own heart as I think about the resurrection and celebrate it with you year after year. So our passage will help us understand that question, and here's how. I'll kind of tell you up front what Peter's going to help us understand. And that is, he's going to inform us that though the resurrection was a one-time event that happened in, in one place in time, space and time in history, that, it, that that one thing sparked something new that has yet to stop. It sparked something new that is still in progress, that 
is still going on. In other words, as the cross brought something to a complete end, the resurrection begins something new. And so the resurrection is something that's in progress. The effects of the resurrection are in progress, and we are continuing to benefit from this. So even though it's something that happened in the past, there remains an excitement and will continue to be an excitement until the Lord returns to call us home. So we've been invited into this living story. Yes, history, but a living story that involves the past, the present and the future. So it's not just what he did, but it's what the risen Lord continues to do in this world and in his people. And because he's alive, there are many things are alive and continue to be brought to life. Continue to be vibrant and to flourish. And so we sense this and we know this because God through his spirit makes it known to his children. It reminds me a little bit, the resurrection kind of started something in the sense of, um, you know, a pregnancy. And, and Romans tells us that the whole world just kind of groans like there's everything about this creation that God brought into existence that is pregnant with what's to come. There's this expectation where we'll be relieved of all the pain and all the suffering and enter into a time where our future holds, as Jessica's song about, we'll be singing, we'll be laughing, we'll be dancing. So no matter what we feel today or have experienced in the, the past or the present, that is our future. And Peter helps us understand that in this passage. So let's read 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, now see Him. You believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Something that we encounter, I think, almost every time we look at Scripture, no matter where you turn, whether it's the Old Testament or particularly the New Testament, because the Old Testament uh, uh, opens our eyes or gives us an anticipation of the New Testament. But whenever we, we read Scripture, we, we find that the gospel changes everything. 
like whenever I read scripture and I, and I understand and I begin to understand and learn more about the gospel, it, it just like becomes so evident that the gospel is designed to change absolutely everything. It's not designed to just change a portion of this or a portion of that or just a segment of our lives. It's, changed, it's designed to change everything and it's designed to change everything in our lives. It's not designed to just be a pleasant additive uh, to make our busy lives just a little bit easier. The gospel by design is transformative. And the good news is that what Jesus did on the cross won't leave anything alone. And I think Peter is explaining that to us. There's something grand that has happened. And because of the resurrection and the power of Christ, nothing is going to be left alone in creation. No human being will be left alone. God is going to be pursuing God, that the living God is going to be doing something in this world and in people's hearts because he wants to lay claim to everything through his resurrection power. Peter tells us, I think, why this is true in our lives. And I find in here reasons why the empty tomb continues to excite me from the inside out. And I'm just going to look at two things here. There's a lot of treasures in this passage, but I want to focus in on two things this morning. And first is that he has given us a new birth. See, talk about God wanting to change everything. The new birth has a lot to do with how we think today, feel today, what we anticipate today, how excited we are or are not. Today In verse 3, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. The Peter began his chapter here with a doxology, which is a word of praise. Praise be to God. God be praised. Because of what He has done. And what has He done? He has caused us to be born again by His not mediocre mercy, but His great mercy. So the greatness of His mercy has done something. It's given new birth. And if we want to understand why it is that the gospel changes everything, we have to understand what Peter means by that, what Jesus means by God causing or giving by His great mercy new birth. Being born again is something that is necessary to the Christian experience. If you are a Christian today, it is because you have been born again by the mercy of God. And that goes for everyone. When I gave my life to Christ uh, about 38 years ago, if you can believe it, I joyfully told people, I was very excited, and I joyfully told people that I had been born again. And I got different reactions to that statement. Uh, some people had the reaction as understanding that what I had was a deep emotional religious experience. That's what it meant to be born again. Oh, you had a deep religious experience. Um, some understood it to be a distinct group within Christianity, the born-againers, um, that... that it's kind of that distinct, maybe a little more radical part of the, the bigger picture of Christianity. 
But the reaction I got the most when I shared with people that I was born again was that, oh, you must have uh, really needed God. Because the perception of being born again or those that said they were born again, that was for the, the, the real losers who just really ruined their lives. Those that were really at the barrel of the, bo- the, the bottom, the barrel of the bottom, that didn't even know how to form a proper sentence. Now, that was me. Uh, I did fit that. I was at the bottom of the barrel, and I just made destructive decision after destructive decision. I was lost and hopeless. I had goals. I knew what I wanted in life. I just didn't have the self-control, the discipline, or the direction of the vision to bring it to pass. And it's a good thing. So that, that's what the understanding of being born again was in my experience 38 years ago. And I would venture to say that there's, that's still kind of true. This is not at all the first century understanding of what it means to be born again. It's not just for losers. It's not just for those who happen to sin a little more than the others. And it's not just a deep religious experience. Even those who may be tempted to think that they're doing pretty good with the life they've been given need to be born again. And I say this because if you think about when this term was introduced by Jesus, it was with Nicodemus. And if Nicodemus needed to be born again created anew, then I think we all needed to be. Because if you think about the life of Nicodemus, he was wealthy. He was very well educated. He was a teacher of the law. He knew it inside and out. He had respect. He was up in the upper escalon of the Jewish realm, and he was a Jewish leader. He was on the ruling council. People came to him for wisdom and vice. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of power. And he also... Strangely enough, though a lot of his colleagues did not, he actually had an interest in the things of God. Now, when Jesus came along, a lot of his colleagues wanted nothing to do with this podunk Nazarite that had no credentials. It's nothing but trouble. But Nicodemus had this, this idea. He had an inkling or a, uh, in his gut was telling him that um, there's something special about this Jesus. And so he went to inquire. And he literally says, um, there's no way that anybody could do what you're doing or say what you're saying unless they are from God. So he wants to understand the kingdom of God and the happenings of God. Help me fit this into who I am and what I know. And what is Jesus' response to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? He says, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again He cannot see the kingdom of God. And we know that Nicodemus says, uh, how do you do do that? I'm I'm old. How do I get back in mommy's tummy? I mean, what does that even look like? Well, that's not what it looks like. And Jesus informs him it's being born of the Spirit. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God. Jesus is the kingdom of God. and, And he informs us that we can't, comprehend it or understand it or see it as it's intended to be seen unless we have been created anew. So Nicodemus, he didn't just need to be topped off, you know, just fill it the rest of the way up. 
he, he didn't just need a little more tidbit of information to make him whole or to, to enlighten his mind and expand his understanding. He, need, he needed to be born completely new. He wasn't even converted. And so he can't see, he can't understand what's happening in the person of Christ. So it was enough for him to understand what was happening in his Jewish realm. Not enough to help him understand what was happening in, with the king of kings and the kingdom of God. So to be a Christian is to have this kind of relationship with Christ. No matter what age we are, what color we are, what kind of achievements we have, we must be born again. John, in John's gospel before this, he said, Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So God, he rules out any natural means for the kingdom. Any natural means for seeing what Christ intends us to see. It is caused by the great mercy of God. And it's this mercy that works in these dark and rebellious and suppressing hearts and does His work and softens them and wins them over and enables us to see how undeserving we are and how great our Lord and Savior is. He enables us to see just how worthy He is. And so it's that birth that begins this journey of making Christ our all. So mercy is is the source of this. But what makes it so uh, visceral or vibrant or present? What keeps it alive? And that's the second point here. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. Sometimes it's hard for me to articulate what God is doing in us or in the world or in Christianity or even in my own heart. And I think it's interesting that Peter chose these words as he's writing to a group of believers that are dispersed all over the Roman Empire. Some of them are facing trials and tribulations. And he, after this great introduction that he had given, he could have gone in any direction. He could have talked about uh, the resurrecting power of God. He could have talked about, now that you're children of God, I want you to understand the fatherhood of God. There's just so many different important directions that he could have gone and inform this particular group of believers. And yet he talks about the living hope that is based on the resurrection of Christ. A resurrection hope. Now why would God, through his inspired word, want his children that he calls to be born again to know about this hope? Hope is absolutely necessary for people to experience any kind of meaning in life. And we don't always realize this. Of course, it's absolutely necessary for vibrant kingdom living. But hope in of itself is necessary for any kind of meaningful living 
in any sphere of life. Because humanity is shaped by our understanding of what we think is to come. We're not used to, in our, in our culture, we're so used to being taught about everything is about the moment. And getting what you want at this particular time. And we live so small. And yet we are absolutely wired to not just live based on the past and to not just live based on the present needs, and they're real, but also we are shaped by what we think is to come. We're shaped by what we believe is our future or the future. I read in just yesterday in the news that there are billboards in Ukraine uh, that says um, our only hope is God. So they're under siege. There's billboards, I was told. Uh, Our only hope is God. And this is a, you know, you watch the news. It's a country that is besieged. There, There are families that are being uprooted, communities that are being lost. Uh, There's the mass exodus away from it. Lives are being lost. So life, buildings are being destroyed. Things are being decimated. So, So life as they know it is completely changed for the worse. It's being destroyed. And yet their billboards, our only hope is God. Now, isn't that interesting? Because though the present is as dark as you can get, and you, you could begin to see or believe that this is it. Life is over. I, I cannot even imagine living beyond this. Well, there are people in Ukraine that can imagine living beyond the present decimation. And their hope is in God. I understand the churches of every denomination are packed. Those that are still intact. There's this need in humanity to be able to see beyond the present. Some of these people in, that Peter's writing to had bad lives presently. They were suffering trials and tribulation, maybe inner angst. I mean, you know how life can get. Life can really press in on us. And Peter is sure to remind them of the resurrection, the born-again experience. And when we're born again, what is born into us is this living hope. We're born again into a living hope. God is our only hope. We need a few of those billboards in our country, don't we? So hope must not die. Isn't it interesting? All the things that are dying and yet hope is still alive in Ukraine. And this happens. This is our story. This is the story of humanity. And it's because we are shaped by it. That's what I want you to hear this morning. You are shaped by what you think is to come regarding your future. You're making decisions presently. Your emotions are following after it as well. What you think is to come in the future. And the Bible talks about a certain hope. It's not wishful thinking. But there are things that God has said, this shall come to pass This is how it will be. It it includes the singing and the laughing and dancing. We will sing and we will laugh and dance again no matter how bad life gets in our experience. 
It is a certain hope. And this is timely, I think, because I don't know what your experience is, but some of my experience in Christian realm right now in, in this area is a lot of hopelessness, or at least Christians who are acting like there is no hope. And I say that based on a lot of the, uh, the conservative Christian material that I read these days about the status or the state of our nation. And, and, and the idea is that things are so bad that when I read some of the articles, you'd think, my goodness, there's just, where's the biblical vision of hope in all of this? It's, it's all is lost. If you don't write a letter this very day or vote for this particular person this very day or protest this very day, you're going to wake up in jail. It's, it's this all of lost mindset. Well, I don't really know. I love our country. I absolutely love it. And it's willing to fight for. And we have, I think, very unique values and virtues. And our founding fathers thought deeply. And they looked at the past beginnings of civilizations and powerful ones. And they said, what kept them going? You need more than just a constitution. You need just more than written words. You, you, need, you need virtue. You need faith. And I think what we have is very unique. But I don't know what the future or the vision for our nation is. I hope it's positive. But how can all be lost if you have a living hope in Jesus Christ? How can all be lost when the kingdom of God is so alive and so vibrant no matter what's happening in this nation or that nation? Nations come and nations go because Christ is king. And when you have this living hope... It does, you can wake up in jail or you can wake up in a nation that's not the same as the one you were born in. And you still have that living hope because it's put there by God and it's not circumstantial. And that is what our future hangs on. And it reminds us that we're not just twiddling our thumbs until we get to die. One philosopher put it like this. Hope depends on finding some end to be pursued more extensive than merely instant desires or the present. He's saying there's got to be some, there's got to be something that you're going for, something that you see that hasn't happened yet, but you're anticipating it to happen. And just living present from one decision to the next, it's not enough. Anthropologist Clifford Gertz says, and I'm just going to paraphrase this, if you don't have anything bigger than yourself and your own selfish desires and needs, if you're not sacrificing for something bigger than yourself, you don't have hope. You don't have a sense of direction or self-control or any way to organize your emotions. You don't know where you're headed. This guy is a very well educated and researched individual and he makes that statement because he studied civilizations and he said one of the marks of great civilizations were that the people uh, rallied around a certain hope about where they were headed their their vision for the future is what fueled their present actions it's what decided how they should feel about things when they should be had sad or happy and it all had to do with where they thought they were going. So th th this living hope determines direction of humanity and of individuals, one heart at 
a time. And that means without it, it can be debilitating. It can be blinding. It can be agonizing. And the present has a potential to push us away from the picture window that God has set up for us as believers. This grand picture window that opens our eyes to all that He is up to and all that He's doing and what shall come to pass if we let our present get the best of us It will just push us away and we can no longer see that and we're stuck. So we we need and we were created for a living hope that only God can provide. And it changes everything. It moves us. And I believe that is what moves us to this very day. I believe that that has a lot to do with the excitement. I know the breakfast is great. I know that maybe the chocolate Easter bunnies are going to be incredible this year. Uh, the Easter egg hunts and all the candy and all that stuff. It's wonderful. But my suspicion is there's this living hope that is so alive. And it's in those that have professed Christ. And it's not going to go away. God won't let it go away. Because Christ is the true King, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see how it changes everything? Changes what we look at and how we see it. Here's how Peter applies this in verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. They can't even see Him right now. This is, by the way... 30 years, this is written 30 years after the resurrection. So it's 30 years old, it's old news. It's good news, but it's old news. You can't see Him, but you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This living hope has invaded our lives. To, to even... Exist means something. So if we think about the the idea of a new creation or to be born again, if you exist, if you're born as something, you come into this world as something, you come in with a certain nature, with certain propensities, because you were designed to be a certain thing. And for us, it's it's our DNA. And it it involves our future. It tells us what we're going to turn out to be. Uh, If you're born a human, that's what you're going to turn out to be. I was looking at the weather last week, and unfortunately, it's got all these advertisements. Now, you can't just look at what you want to these days. You've got to look at all these advertisements. And there was this great big picture of a blobfish. And it, it said that the blobfish had been voted as the ugliest animal on earth, How, whoever takes these poles. And it was ugly. It was scary. It was slimy. It had a drooping no- nose. It had weird-looking, almost human-like lips. I mean, it was just... And, 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 here, and actually, this is when I was preparing this sermon. And I thought, I am so glad that's not my DNA. I am so glad that I don't have to wonder, am I going to turn... Is that what I'm going to turn out? Is that my future? The blobfish? Now, what I'm going to turn out to be, and as I progress and grow now, it's all based on our nature. We're following after that. It's our, our DNA. We don't have to worry about certain things because of that. We don't have to worry. 
We don't have to plan for what life is like as a blobfish. We don't have to plan against it. It's not on our radar. To be born again is more, it's, it's not just turning over a new leaf. It's not just uh, buckling down with more grit and, and more commitment. Being born again means that you've been given a new nature. And when you're given that new nature, it means that's what you're going to become more and more and more of because of your new nature. And God has done this great spiritual work in us. It's going to change us. It's going to change our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our hopes, our desires. Everything about us, the gospel changes everything. Because Christ is alive in us. We're de- literally, as believers, we are developing. We are maturing in the things of the kingdom of God. They're growing in us. That's one of the tests of, of even knowing if we're believers or not. There, has, there needs to be some kind of sign of this life and this growth because we have been given a new nature. I wanted to get a little ahead of the planting season this year for the garden, and so I bought just a few plants, um, and I, ha- I didn't have time to put them out in the garden. It was some broccoli and some lettuce, and, and uh, then it got real cold. You know, the weather's been real crazy here, and they were still in little pots, so I brought them into the house, and I set them next to the window on a little table. And based on their nature, see, plants have the ability to adapt to their environment. There are things about plants that they were, they know what to do. They know what they need. And so I put them by the window on this little table. And lo and behold, by the day, end of the day, they were all what? Leaning towards the sunlight. By their nature, they knew that this is what I needed to do. And I would turn it around and, and, and each day while they were in. So... They're not advanced creatures by any means, but they have a way to adopt and, and interact with their realm or their environment. I also have a dog. <clears throat> now, he has a nature too, and it's the nature of a dog. Uh, he does what dogs do. He wags his tail when he's happy. He'll gnash his teeth when he's not. Uh, he, he'll, he'll pull dead animals into the yard and eat them. It's just what he, he does. Uh, he knows to be close to home when it's time to eat. So there, there are things he's, he's, reati- he's relating and experiencing his environment according to his level of interaction. He knows certain things. He knows to get in your way when he wants to be pet. Whether you want to pet him or not, he learns these things. He's interacting to a greater level. And then you have humans. We have each other. We have a human nature. We are developing into what God designed us to be. As a new grandparent, I am uh, freshly reminded of human nature because I'm getting to watch it again grow from scratch, if you will. And how little babies mature in certain ways and, and they pick up new, new skills and new habits and, and then they can problem solve. Just this morning... Um, Ava comes running into my, they spent the night last night, they run into my office to show me a new skill. Well, you know, little plastic um, Easter eggs. You can take them apart. Usually there's money or candy in or something. Well, she has always been fascinated with these things, and she finally learned to take them apart. Well, now she knows how to put them together. That's a new skill. She's maturing in that way. You've got to line them up just right. If you push too hard, they collapse. So she was so excited, and it was so neat to watch her 
to, to mature in this way. She's interacting. People interact with their environment. And humans have can interact in greater ways by design than plants and, of course, by animals. We have we have a level of intelligence. We, we're emotional. We know the difference between good and wrong. We know when injustice is being done and so forth. And my grandchild is beginning to understand right and wrong, uh, morality and justice. And she's wide-eyed and adventurous. We recently, I know I'm talking about my grandkids. I get to do it up here and you can't. But anyway, so... Um, <laughs> Jesse sent us a video of Ava, and it was her first realization of a rainstorm. And it was, you know, the big drops that start to drop, and she's out in it. She's like, wow, water is falling from the sky, and she's just letting it hit her face, and she's putting her hands out. She's interacting with this crazy act of nature, and then she's running around in it. Oh, it's here, and it's there, and there. She's experiencing it for the first time, and so she can interact with these things. God designed us to be interactive on different levels. And when we are born again, we are now interactive on a new level, a spiritual level, because we have a new nature that God has caused us to experience. And we can see things and relate to things and feel things and know things that previously we could not because we did not have the propensity or the ability to do that. When I, before I was, gave my life to Christ, I believed in God. I knew about God. I went to church and I had certain experiences with God. I, I knew prayers. I prayed. But it was not, God was not transforming my life. I was more in control of God, meaning that when I got down and out, I used my prayers so God would bail me out. And then when I didn't really want God, Around, then I would just ignore him. So really, I was controlling the relationship here and using God in that way. But when God calls me to be born again, he saw me and they opened my eyes to who I really was. And he came into my life. I looked at everything differently. I looked at myself differently. I looked at God differently. I looked at his creation. I looked at relationships. Everything, the gospel changes everything. I had new eyes to see. And... Scripture that was read Sunday after Sunday in church that was like, some of it was interesting as a story. Well, now it has life. Now it's speaking right into my heart and my mind. It's talking to me because of the living hope. I take pleasure in different things. I'm wired differently. There are things that I no longer want to do, and now there are new things that I can't wait to do. It's because of the new nature. The same things don't threaten me. Different desires. And that's how we know. That's one of the ways we know if we're born again. What's going on in us? Is it a kingdom activity or is it the same old worldly stuff just recycled and recycled and recycled? A living hope doesn't lack because it's not based on the perishable things. It's not based on the changing things. It's based on the constant Jesus Christ. We rejoice in this, though we do not see him. While we experience pain and loss in this world, it's okay because the, the world's going in one direction and the kingdom of God is going in another. And there's a sense in which 
The farther away we get from the world, the better off we are because the closer we are to that vision of God. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, everything just changed course. Like for millennium, the needle had been here, but when he walked out of that tomb, it shoots over to the right. Life has changed because of the resurrection. And it will never be the same. Jesus will not stop. And whatever he's doing in my life or in your life, he will not stop. Because he's the king and he has been given the power and authority to take claim over it. And that's the narrative that we live in. That's the story. That's what Peter is encouraging the saints 30 years after the resurrection. And God is encouraging us thousands of years. We'll keep talking about it. Keep singing about it. Getting exciting about it. And bending ourselves with our new nature towards heaven. Our hope is arising. May God bless the preaching of his word. And now we will get to see uh, God's hope arising as our Easter choir comes and bends their voices to the praise and the glory of God. Folks, if you come and go ahead and get set up.